everyone to the Unbalanced Note podcast. It is day 400,327 of the quarantine. I am Brian Kluger, and I am here with the man that I listen to all the music with in this quarantine time, Mark Chafferdini. How's it going with you this week, bud? It's going very well. Did you hear me singing in the shower this morning? I did. I, I heard you singing some chorale music, uh, which I, re- I really liked. <laughs> uh, I thought it was jodeling. I got to keep working on that. Yeah, keep working on that. And we also have a special co-host today, Josie Magert, sound designer extraordinaire in Dallas. How are you doing, Josie? I've got more wins in Warzone than you, so I'm doing fantastic. Perfect. I I, I will uh, debate you on that, but for sure. But we have we have a very excellent guest. We have the the legendary intercontinental champion of composing and music, Gareth Coker. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? That I I have not. I've been called legendary, which is cool, but intercontinental is a new one, so I'm going to have to add that to the list. Um, are you always this enthusiastic, or is this quarantine taking over everyone's mind? I'd like. He's th- always like this. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's, it's the uh, it's the pro wrestling in me, you know. Okay. <laughs> the pro wrestling. So you know, for thank you for joining us on the show today, Gareth. And first, I just kind of want to ask, you know, with living in these times and these quarantine times, just. How are you doing in all of it? How are you and the family? I'm doing good. Uh, my, uh, I'm obviously split up from my family because my family's British. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're in just outside of London. I basically instructed them to stay indoors, which they do anyway. I'm a composer, so I'm kind of a hermit as it is. And honestly, uh, it is business as usual for me. Uh, the game industry hasn't really stopped. It's just kind of transferred. Um, most companies have done a good job transitioning to work from home and I always work from home Uh, the only difference for me is that I order even more stuff to my house than I did before Um, so uh, yeah I I haven't really been outside now for for five weeks, uh, other than to like pick up mail and stuff. That's the only that's the only part that is getting a bit tiresome. But uh, it's much better that than getting ill. I, I, I hear you there. Yes, definitely packages being delivered and uh, all this anything I can think of I can order for sure. But uh, let's get started. I want to ask you first. You know, where did it all begin? for you in music you know was it like a certain song you heard was a certain movie score you heard what what, what, where did it all begin for you um so so actual like um music lessons and stuff like that uh that started when i was eight and it was kind of i wouldn't say forced upon me but eh, pretty close um so my parents got me piano lessons when i was eight i wasn't particularly enthusiastic about them or practicing uh, then they sent me to boarding school, which I know is a big thing in America. It's like, oh, you send your problem kids to boarding school. It's very different in England. Uh, going to boarding school in England is you can get a pretty pretty good education and you, you meet a bunch of different people from all around the world. But at boarding school, there's nothing to do, especially at the weekends. And I ended up practicing like crazy because it's the only thing that I could find that would like pass the time. And when you're a kid and you practice stuff a lot, just, let's be honest, you, you just get pretty good. Um, so, um, it's, I mean, especially when you're like nine and 10, like thing, if things that go in, they just don't leave. Whereas I feel like now, like I'm 35 now, like trying to retain information and skill is much harder than when I was a kid. Um, as for like music for media, like film and games, the first score that got my attention um, was the Forrest Gump soundtrack. Um, the opening of the film is literally a feather panning around the sky and eventually settles on Tom Hanks' briefcase. Um, and for whatever reason, that scene resonated with me when I was young. When I was younger, um, and it's it's literally just a piano playing a melody. And I think that was the first thing. I didn't really start composing until quite late, but that was like the first thing that I like actually registered. Um, In terms of gaming, I've been gaming since I was like four. Um, When I was a kid, when I was that age, my dad would give me these books full of code 
Um, and I would have to type up the code in basic. And if I typed it up, that's where the typing comes from. You asked me where, like, how do I type so quickly? Because um, I started when I was four. Um, so yeah, you just get these lines of code and all you have to do is copy it, but you learn kind of like how a game is made. And then after you typed in like 900, sorry, 9,000 lines, um, you have Space Invaders on your screen. Um, this was like way, way back in you know, 1988. Um, then like growing up, I played quite a lot of games with my dad. Um, and that's possibly why I feel like a special affinity to it because it was a family thing for me. Um, and it's, so I kind of enjoy working in games because I want to, at least in some way, create the experiences that gave me joy when I was a kid. No, I, I like that. I like that answer. That's, it's, it's, that's great. Uh, do you remember like a first instrument you actually purchased and like the song you first learned on that? I mean, I, the, the piano was, the piano was first purchased for me because no eight year old has a, <laughs> has that kind of budget. Um, but uh, honestly, I can't remember what I first learned. Um, I I never learned. I never like had lessons to read sheet music. I just read books and started to understand it. So I, that's like one of the great mysteries. Um, I, I honestly think the first piece of music, first piece of sheet music that I actually asked for was the Forrest Gump theme. Um, and that was when I was about ten. Um, yes, I watched Forrest Gump when I was very young. Um, so. Um, yeah, that's like the first one that I can remember. So like I learned to play it pretty quickly. It's actually not very difficult at all. Um, if you've played piano for like even a year, you could probably learn it. Um, that's like the first one I remember. But I went through, after that, I went through like pretty traditional classic classical training. Um, and I actually quite enjoyed it, including like doing scales. Um, but like, yeah, it, it was really a case of um, I just enjoyed the escape of music, so I kind of didn't mind what I played. That's kind of a cop-out to your question. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, that's 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 all I got. It's it's really the, the Forrest Gump thing kind of kicked off everything. I just love that an eight-year-old kid loved Forrest Gump so much because that like, that theme song, that dee 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 it's like emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, it just really stuck with me. I think, I think it's it's not just the melody. It is uh, literally, if you take the music out of that scene, it's a feather for three minutes. Like no one wants that. Like the music is what makes that scene the scene work, and it suddenly makes the feather more interesting because you feel like you're on a journey with the feather. It gives the feather purpose. But if you take the music out, I'm sure you've seen like that video of Star Wars that's circling around the that's been circling around the internet for like two years, where they've taken out all the music from Star Wars and it's just the dialogue, uh, and it's absolutely terrible, uh, like unwatchable um, because it makes you uncomfortable. Um, with the music, like the story, the, the hidden story is added. Uh, I think for some reason that connected with me. I, I could not tell you why, because I don't know how my brain works. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to note that um, in both of the Ori games, the I, I think what really captures my imagination is just the simplicity to the piano keys. Yeah. And hearing that whole um, explanation about uh, loving Forrest Gump so much, I mean, do you do you think you were subconsciously channeling your own Silvestri, or do you just find the simplicity in uh, in in the piano as a, a nice through line through this game series? Well, the piano honestly is where I I start writing anyway. So it's so like literally everything comes from there anyway. Um, but I think the piano is an incredibly flexible instrument emotionally. There's some instruments which I feel can do a lot and there's some feel which I feel can't do very much at all. Um, like, for example, I it, it is kind of, it, at least in the game audio community, it has kind of become a running gag at this point that I very much dislike the bassoon because I feel like it's a pointless instrument. Um, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy going on record with that because I've been on record many times. Um, it just... All, all I think of when I think of the bassoon is the comedy instrument, and I don't write comedy. Um, if you want it to do a melody, you kind of have to use it high. And why would you use it high when you can just use the English horn, which sounds better? And if you want to do something low with it, um, supporting it like a low, ominous thing, well, you could just use the bass clarinet, which sounds even more ominous. So I'm, I'm basically for scrapping the bassoon. Um, but <laughs> that's, like, that's like one side of it. Like That's like the... 
that's like a limited instrument. I feel like piano is incredibly flexible. Obviously, it has 88 keys. Um, there is also a 99 key version, uh, which is like the piano of my dreams. Um, it's, it's the Bosendorf, which has an extended bass. It goes down like another... Uh, another octave um unfortunately it costs like half a million dollars so that's not happening anytime soon um but uh i feel most comfortable there and it's kind of like where the um where like dealing with the emotional content of the ori games starts um but then i put it up against the picture and i'm like huh i don't really need much more than the piano um and Actually using the piano as a lead instrument is not so common in uh, film or games. It's usually used as a, support, as a supporting device. But when it's used well, it can be really powerful. Um, the, the two obvious references, I mean, I've just actually mentioned one is the Forrest Gump theme. Uh, but obviously uh, the American Beauty piano theme is another one that if you've seen the movie, you cannot, you cannot isolate those two things. Those two, the piano melody for American Beauty goes hand in hand with the film. Um, and yeah, I've, once I got comfortable, um, with the piano, like in a, in, in the setting of Wario, I was like, yeah, we can, we can continue using this throughout the game. Um, I think one of the things that helps is the piano is a percussive instrument and that like constant pitter patter that the piano has kind of creates a natural pulse, um, which, especially when you combine it with other moving instruments, um, creates this sense of movement and momentum. And in a game that is a platformer that is all about movement and momentum, that is kind of a thing that, that works. The, the, the big thing for me when connecting instruments to the, to the games that I work on is I've, I've got to be able to see it uh, in real time when I'm composing um, because there's some there's something that happens in my head when I'm able to like see the actual game on screen and it makes it much easier for me to choose, choose the right instrument. I just felt like piano was the right one to a tell the story and it felt fitting for the world um, that Ori is set in. That, that's awesome. You know, I would even go so far as to say that uh, John Ottoman's the usual suspects piano yep. is probably comparable to uh, yep. what it did for Forrest Gump as well. But I, I, that's awesome. What you're talking about the relation to the movement on screen and uh, the instrument you chose. That's no, great. You mentioned that when you're composing, you have to have some type of visual just to, when you're working. Um, what are you sent like art, prototypes? Um, does it vary between studios on how that all works? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it really depends on each studio and how much security they are willing to give up because obviously I'm off-site. Right. Uh, so generally with the, the bigger the bigger corporate BMOs that there are, um, it is harder to get access. Although with Google Stadia and game streaming now being a thing, they kind of have to put their game online, um, which makes it easier to like, you know, give me, uh, you know, a, a thing to log into. So I feel like there's going to be no excuse soon. Um, unfortunately, that infrastructure isn't quite there yet, um, but but it almost is. Uh, but yeah, on. On bigger games, it's harder to get access. I just try and ask for a build as often as they can give it to me. Um, but on Ori, I mean, I had access to the game from from the very beginning, um, and I like that. Even if there's no art, it still gets me. The, the first thing that usually happens is everything's gray boxed, and I can still get an idea of how the character moves, what abilities they have, how loud they are, because they usually have temp sounds in. Um, and it gets me a feel for like the basic handling of the game. Um, so what that allows me to do is figure out tempo and structure and how long I want the loops to be because I don't I don't need the visuals to know like how big roughly a level is. Then the art comes in and art always informs instruments for me. Like the the choice of instruments um, is literally dictated by what colors I see on screen, how open the visuals are, or if they, or, you know whether we're outside or whether we're in a dungeon or a cave. Um, that all affects what instruments I choose. Um, and then the last thing, like the actual melodic content, that's usually going hand in hand with the, you know, with the level design and the, and the visuals um, is, is the character themes. 
Um, and that's just kind of constantly being worked on on the the narrative side. Um, but honestly, the hardest the hardest part for me is the instrumentation because Ori isn't really a pure orchestral soundtrack. It kind of amuses me when people says it is because yes, there is a lot of orchestra. But what makes Ori what it is is everything else that is kind of going on around and with the orchestra. There's a surprising amount of synthetic elements in the soundtrack, and they might be processed organic sounds but they still have been processed it's not like something you can easily emulate with a live orchestra um and it's kind of like that whole mix of instrumentation and the orchestra that it, that takes me the longest amount of time coming up with the melodies i mean for me like melody is just do as many ideas as you can until you find the good one um and then figuring out structure is entirely dictated by level design so those two things come a little bit easier um but the visuals which are kind of you asked about like how does how does that work with me and the the game development team um i just basically am kind of chasing the art team to see what they've done and then i go and work on the area that they've kind of done a first pass on because i don't need the art to be final i just need like what colors are you using how much depth is there um and i need like a first pass of how they dress to the scene with the millions of flowers hand placed flowers and trees and mushrooms and other stuff that they all have to do that's pretty much what i have to do whenever i'm trying to get sound design out but <laughs> hunting down like the artists and the designers like hey what's this going to look like what's the timing of this <laughs> and then and then they put something in at the very end which like requires sound right and you're like yes. uh, yeah i wish i would have known about that yeah there's a there's a on on the first game um i remember right at the end it was just like this small addition. It was like, yeah, let's just put some bats in the cave. That would be cool. Like, it was just like, they're really small and barely visible. But like the sound team were like, uh, yeah, but like they're still visible. So they need to have sound. <laughs> so it's, yeah, um, I, I do feel for the sound designers in particular, because a lot of the detail, especially in a game like this, gets added quite late. Uh, obviously you can deal with ambiences fairly quickly right um, but like the, the the detail stuff which is what really kind of brings the whole thing to a you know puts a nice bow on things like that that happens so late sometimes um I'm, yeah the I, icing I on the cake lucky. yes exactly <laughs> um but yeah that kind of gives you an insight of like where i'm at if if in an ideal world, I have as much access as possible, um, but the world isn't always ideal. It does. It just depends on every company and their policies. And um, I think one of the problems is is a lot of people running work running things, especially at the the bigger companies. There are there are two there are two schools of thought. One is that composers should compose and do nothing else. Um, and that like they should hand their music over to an implementation team and an editing team. And they're actually, that actually works because there are some film composers who have no desire to, um, to get into the nitty gritty of, of like the, the technical side of games. So they can just hand over their music um, and trust the implementation team. So that only works if you have a good implementation team and a good editing team that actually understands music. And those are very, very, very rare. Um, the other, um, the other school of thought is, um, you know, is uh, just, you know, giving the game uh, composer like a lot of control. So I feel like there's, there's kind of like these two extremes and actually the, the reality is it needs to be somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't think the composer should be, I, I don't do anything on the technical side of things in terms of like the actual middleware implementation, um, like getting into the nitty gritty of code and stuff. But I know exactly what I want to happen, and I write up a PDF, and I make a video, and I hand it over to those guys, and then I test the hell out of it to make sure that it works. That actually kind of answered one of my questions. Like, do you have to, you know, work with Wise and or anything, um, or implement? I guess you, so. You just basically break down all the themes and the loops that you want, and you specifically tell the the programmers and engineers, like, hey, this is how this is supposed to work. Yeah, everything is exported, so they literally just have to plug it in if they follow the instructions. The only the only thing I can't really figure out is like all of the different variables. Like, what happens if you press pause? What happens if you if the player dies and presses pause like the second after they died? Like, there's all of these different variables. Yeah. that's like 
that that they are usually pretty good at taking care of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's but like how the music plays back in the game and when it transitions from one cue to another. Um, Ori is entirely horizontal, by the way. There's no layering at all. Um, I am not a huge fan of the layering approach in this kind of game. Um, and I can go into why later if you want. Um, so there's, there's, that's 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 actually one of the reasons why the soundtrack is so long for the second game. Um, it's just because I don't um, I don't believe in like capping the amount of music that needs to be written for a game. Um, and uh, yeah, I just felt like the music needed to change more frequently, and I did that simply by writing new pieces of music. So, for example, in the opening of the game, um, Ori wakes up opening of the second game or he wakes up after having crash landed in um, a flight sequence at the end of the prologue and he's lost and a sad melody plays and you progress for about 10 to 15 minutes through the environment and you pick up the sword after you pick up the sword the same sad melody plays but a more peppy accompaniment plays as well to reflect the fact that, hey, Ori's got a sword and isn't that pretty cool? And I think it helps push the player forward, not in an obvious way, but in a subconscious way. Like those small changes, I don't believe can be handled by adding a different layer because it feels cheap to me. I'd rather write a new cue to reflect that. Um, And that's the kind of thing, what I do when I hand it over to the implementation team, I'm like, I need this loop to play when you're starting off the game. Then when Ori gets the sword, we need to like have a stinger that reflects that. Um, and then after after that moment, we need to transition to a different cue, um, which is this one. And that's the more peppy accompanying cue um, that, that plays while Ori has the sword. Um, and I do that for the entire game um, with a PDF, which describes it in pretty much how I've described it to you, um, but also with a video which has overlays of what track is playing when. Um, it's a little bit more work on my end, but I'm playing the game anyway. So I have recordings of the entire game at all times. So it's actually really not that difficult. I'm just dragging and dropping audio files into a video editor and exporting it. Um, and most composers have beastly computers, so it really only takes like a couple of minutes to export a video and then I'm done and then I can get back to work. Uh, and I know for a fact that it was appreciated by the implementation team because they had a visual reference and a written reference. Um, and uh, with it being a Metroidvania, you cannot plan every single musical outcome because the very nature of a Metroidvania is that the player can kind of go off and explore and do what they want. But it was enough that they had a framework to work within. Um, unlike a tightly scripted narrative game like the last of us or more recently plague's tale um where you kind of have a very good idea of what the player is going to happen so you know exactly what the transition points are going to be every time which means you can script the music really tightly um this is a little bit more open um and so it requires some degree of flexibility but as long as they had a framework to work within it meant that the music system generally was pretty robust by the end at the beginning it wasn't there was a lot of things that i hadn't thought of um, and also the the tech, <laughs> getting the technical side of things set up meant that we had some very weird errors. For example, um, I remember we had like a milestone uh, to present to Microsoft, and in the milestone um, was the spider boss fight. And for whatever reason, the music from the flight scene of the prologue played, which is like probably the happiest piece of music ever. In the oh my world. gosh. <laughs> yes. So imagine like fighting the spider and like this super happy music comes on. And uh, yeah, I don't know how that slipped through the cracks, to be honest. Um, but we, they were like, is this what you intend? And I'm like, no, no, that's not what I intend at all. Um, but yeah, that, so so there were some there were some glitches on the way, um, but uh, yeah, eventually we ended up with a pretty tight system. The only place where things are really tightly scripted is in the prologue. Uh, in the prologue, there's actually eleven musical cues, but it feels it should all feel like one continuous piece of music. Um, that's because I know exactly what's going to happen, but because the player has control, I kind of need to have flexibility. The ending is kind of the same as well. The ending is ten cues, I think. Um, but other than that, it's it's fairly it's fairly open. I need to like think about what the player does in a Metroidvania, which I can only do that by playing the game as much as possible. That is like that is like honestly commandment number one for composers, as far as I'm concerned. If you're not playing the game, how can you possibly understand the game you're working for? I don't think it's enough to have concept art given to you 
and video given to you unless you have an amazing implementation team and an amazing editing team and you're just not going to get that on anything lower than a AAA title. I a thousand percent agree. Anytime I'm implementing sound design, we're constantly testing and testing, make sure it sounds okay. <laughs> and even when we hand it back, we still keep testing and testing. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, and then there's never not, not enough time to. I actually hired someone to test for me at the end because I was like too busy prepping for the recording sessions. Um, but uh, it was actually really helpful because I could also watch someone else play and see if they were engaged or not. Um, because it's very easy to watch someone's body language and see if they're enjoying the game or actually like getting stuck on on certain bits. And one of the cool things about Ori is that we do. A, a, I would like to think that we do a pretty good job of keeping the player immersed. No loading screens helps with that. Quick respawn time helps with that. Um, but also, everything is kind of designed to like just stop you from pressing pause basically um you know you get a new ability you get enter a new environment so there's new visuals the music's changing you meet a new character we're not throwing the same thing at you the whole time and i hope you felt this you, you, you've played hours of the game so i hope you felt this when you played it i'd, I'd like to think we succeeded there. i i i will say that you have the only <laughs> time i ever had to press pause was when i needed a break from boss yep. fights <laughs> okay yeah, yeah that's understandable um, <laughs> Yeah, they, they, uh, yeah, the boss fights, especially if you're not ready, um, can, can be a bit challenging. But you can abandon them, um, which is not something that we allowed you to do in the first game. I did uh, not know that. <laughs> uh, if you press start during a boss fight in the, in the, in the game, yeah, there should be abandon challenge um, in, the, in the menu. Um, yeah, we, we don't gate you in this time around. Yeah, in the first game, we kind of gated you in. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like you will do the sequence no matter what. But now you can you can actually leave the boss fights and level up your character a little bit more and come back later and kind of kill them in like four hits if you overpower everything. <laughs> um, but most people are not that patient. It's, it can be a little bit of a grind. But gen generally speaking, if you're playing on normal or easy mode, um, you don't have to level up too much to to defeat the to defeat the nasty creatures in the game. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, I'm, I'm curious. So you, you kind of a uh, jack of all trades in all of the mediums uh, that you're doing music for, such as you've done feature films, you've done short films, you've done uh, advertisements, commercials, video games. Is there one that's more challenging? And which one do you prefer if there is one? Um, I don't think one is more challenging than the other. Um, I do think... I do think uh, that at times, like when I'm when I'm doing games and it gets into the the nitty gritty of like literally everything I just described, um, it's like man, sometimes you just want to go and write a piece of music from A to B and not have to worry about anything else. But that's what cutscenes are for in games because cutscenes are the same every time. Um, I do like the challenge of doing commercials because you have to tell a story in like thirty seconds or sixty seconds. Um, Plus, I'm just going to be honest, they pay really well. So um, <laughs> that's also <laughs> nice. Um, films, it's, film for me is like something I'd like to do more of, but it's a case of getting the right opportunity. And most of my friends who are directors are all doing music videos and commercials right now, which is one of the reasons I've done commercials. Hopefully some of them will transition into film at some point and remember uh, to bring me along. Um, but it's kind of like a, a waiting game on that. Um Games, I feel, though, have the have still have the most potential for storytelling. Um, and I still don't think we're in the golden era of games yet. I think we're close. I think we're close to like getting to where the equivalent of Hollywood's golden age was. But we're not quite there yet because I don't think I don't think there are enough high quality writers working in video games yet. There's amazing designers for sure. Like games which don't like rely on narrative. My God, those like every time I see a new game with like a new game mechanic, I'm just like, oh my God, how did you even come up with that? It's like brilliant. Um, I'll take um, I'll take Super Hot as a as a recent example. Like it's so simple, but it's so cool and so effective. Um, it's just like how how did anyone not come up with this before and package it as well as they did? Um, but in terms of narrative, I don't think I don't think we're getting enough quality writing that is taking advantage of the medium just simply because 
the game industry hasn't been around that long and we're still learning how to tell stories with it. Um, therefore, it has the biggest room for improvement because it's not like there are bad games right now. There's still plenty of great games with, with pretty solid stories. Um, but I feel like there's I feel like there's another level to go. Um, and that and that's really exciting. And plus the scope of games leads to the biggest, widest canvas you could possibly have as a composer. And that's both terrifying and exciting at the same time um, because it's like oh my you, you start a project if you start if you start Ori from blank it's not like the typical oh here's just another fantasy game like because everyone knows what a fantasy soundtrack sounds like it's like you know we're actually our business in games is creating worlds for people to get lost in um, and Ori's a good example one of the games that I play every year or every two years now um, is Assassin's Creed. I kind of know that the gameplay is going to roughly be the same every year. And I don't care because the worlds they create are so amazing and I love spending time in them. And we've all played, we've all played games like that with worlds that we have a certain affinity to. I think games are amazing at world building and the, the, the final frontier for us is telling better stories within those games. And that will actually have to start from better writing. The best soundtracks don't come from, you know, the composer writing great music. There are, there are so many films that have music that isn't as powerful as it could be because the story that is being told isn't, isn't quite, it doesn't have the moments it needs to have. Um, I think one of the people, one of the reasons people connect to, to certain soundtracks more than others is not because of the music. It's because of the moments they were attached to within the film or the game itself. And that's like what uh, that you need everything to like have those to have those great moments. And when everything does come together, like when the narrative and the visuals and the audio does all come together, those moments are like what's truly special. Those And the thing about games is they're harder to control. In a film, they're easy to control because it's gonna play out the same every time. The challenge we have in games is like creating as many of those moments as possible, um, but remembering the fact that it's an interactive experience. Uh, and we're still, I still feel like we are figuring that out. I'll take open world games as an example. Like, what do you do when you start up The Witcher 3 and you've got the main quest, but then there's like 5 million side quests thrown at you, um, including like the infamous one where you have to find an old woman's frying pan. It's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> save the world, but but fetch this old woman's frying pan first. Like there's, there's kind of that, like the game, the game gets in the way of the story and the story gets in the way of the game. That's like the, the final frontier is how can we do a good job of blending those two worlds? God of war is kind of like the starting point of that. Um, but I feel like it's still just the starting point. There's still some very gamey stuff in God of war. Um, but like, you can see God of War is like a hint of where I think I see the game industry going in like the next five to 10 years, at least in the realm of narrative games, which is, you know, kind of why we're here today of talking. That was I, a very in-depth answer. Sorry, I got kind of got on like a, gone on like my uh, pedestal there and preached. Sorry. No, no, I, 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 like I preach that all the time. Like when I was in school, just that, you know, for sure video games has you know, years, if not decades to go to get to where Hollywood is now, you know. So let's talk a little bit about about the um, compositional mindset between the first game and the second game. Uh, but before we get to that, I, I want to just clear the air a little bit. I uh, I don't know if you remember me, but I wrote a piece uh, in The Hollywood Reporter last year where I said that um, the movie was so influential that even 20 years later, there are nods to games and TV and pop culture. And I, I mentioned that there were nods to Ori. And as nice as the soundtrack community is, I still felt like they were like, they almost lost their minds. So I wanted to clear the air and just say that there was a couple of musical like uh, instruments and in certain yep. tracks that reminded me of the Matrix Reloaded and Matrix. And so that's really all it was. I wasn't trying okay. to connect them. I'm curious. I'm curious which ones, because um, obviously you didn't get the when able like which which tracks in particular. Because I, I I know the soundtrack very well, and actually I have the scorebook for the for the entire first Matrix film, so I'm okay. I'm pretty well versed in them. Just so I'm, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm curious if you if you don't have it to hand, then no worries. But uh, I'm curious if there was a particular track or instrument. Okay. It was uh it was actually a, a 
quickly have both of them. Uh, in a track like Crumbling Path, I, I think that there were some yep. cello, whether it was uh, uh, yeah. harmo harmonics or the notes were similar. Uh, Fleeing Curo, the strings and the drums were very right. fast. Okay. And that kind of reminded me of um, uh, The Matrix Reloaded, the um, yep. high, the freeway scene. And then even yep. in the, uh, the Sacrifice, it was a lot of the horns and the choral work. You know um, what? With the freeway scene, actually, I... I I'm playing it back in my head. That that the the music that plays during the freeway scene is one of my favorite action pieces like ever committed to cinema. Um, I actually don't like most of the rest of the film, but it was worth it just for the freeway scene. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I I now yeah they they specifically use chromatic strings in the freeway scene, and I can totally see now how you'd make that comparison. That's like all I wanted. I was like, okay, cool. I, that's like you, uh, that 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 um, that conundrum now has been has been solved. Um, yeah, sometimes you just need someone to explain it to you, like as clearly as you've just done. So um, that's helpful. I, I can breathe easily. Easier, thank you, Gareth. <laughs> you can thank sleep you. at night. <laughs> yeah, um, but then just going uh, taking yes. this idea and going bigger scale. So the first score felt very lush and bold and it's so impacting, but the second one seemed a lot more intimate and there were a lot of sad moments. So um, it, obviously that was influenced by the narrative, but um, how did you take themes from the first story and like get to expand on them or streamline them in, in this uh, the sequel? Well, the first thing is to, to note about the sequel is that there's just more there's more characters um, and with more characters, there's more of an opportunity to write more themes. The first game you're kind of playing is Ori for most of it. Um, and you don't really encounter anyone else on your way. You encounter Gumo, but Gumo is kind of like not, you're really just following Gumo. Um, and Kuro, the main antagonist, she's barely on screen very much of the game at all. It's probably less than 10 minutes, um, depending on how long you spend with her on the final boss fight. Um, but you're also not interacting directly with Kura at any point, not when you're in control of the game. Uh, whereas in this game, whenever you interact with an antagonist, you are interacting directly with them. Um, so there's more of a chance to use thematic material. Um, you're also just spending a lot more time with the non-playable characters like like Quolock. So so Quolock, the, the, the toad, um, or frog, I'm, there's, there's a massive debate on Discord whether... Quolock is a toad or a frog or not, which is highly amusing. Um, and uh, um, yeah, uh, so, so Quolock has his own theme. Um, Mora the spider has her own theme that plays within her environment, and so that kind of like took care of those two in terms of in terms of thematic stuff. Ku obviously has her own theme, um, and Shriek the and main antagonist has her own theme as well. Um, so that's like an automatic way of expanding the, the core material. I did bring over Ori's theme uh, to the second game, but as you've correctly pointed out, um, this score is is different from the first one, and, and I think and, and the game itself is different from the second one. It's not this is not just like a copy and paste sequel. And don't get me wrong, I think we could have done that done a copy and paste sequel and people would have loved it. But this game was rebuilt from the ground up because it is telling a different story. And well, technologically and visually, we've kind of grown as a studio. Um, and musically, it's the same. Ori's, um, I feel that the game reflects the fact that not only has Ori grown up, the studio grew up. I grew up as a composer. I mean, I'm a different composer now to where I was five years ago when I was doing the first game. Um, but ultimately, the story is... is um, it, it is dealing with different emotions uh, than it was in the first game. In the first game, it was all about a, kind of a voyage of discovery, whereas this one is a voyage of discovery and what can I do, whereas this one is like, what is my purpose? Um, and that just required a, a, different, a different approach. Um, there are still some bold statements in the in the score but i feel like if you went into this game expecting the same kind of uh impact that the first one had it was well first of all it's a sequel it's harder to have impact because people kind of know what to expect but second of all it's just a different feeling feeling game that said I, i'm going to give you a specific example where my approach changed from the first game to the second uh so in the first game there were these infamous chase sequences um which had pretty bold choices for music. Now we do have these chase sequences in the second game and I use the same theme, 
but every uh, chase sequence, um, at least the early, at least the early ones, uh, are in three four, um, because I feel like Ori had already done three of these chases in the first game, and instead of like, oh my god, it's another chase sequence, terrifying, terrifying, which is the vibe that I was kind of going for in the first game. Um, ter- I must terrifying, and I must keep going. I feel like in this game, it was a case of. Ori kind of knowing what to do because he'd done it before. So the chase music, while it's still exciting, the emotion I'm trying to sell is like, yeah, you've done this before, so chill out. Um, even though it's still fast music, it because it's in 3-4, it feels more like a dance rather than the more rigid pattern of something being in 4-4. All of the chase sequences in the first game were in 4-4. It's more square and it's easier to build tension in 4. Whereas in 3, it's harder to build tension, and it, um, but it also the music moves forward more naturally. It feels less stilted. And I wanted to reflect the fact that, that I felt like Ori would feel that the, that these sequences were easier for him. Um, now, where I turn that on his head is in the second game, we have boss fights. And the boss fights are completely new for Ori. Ori has never directly interact chosen to interact with a big creature before and try to defeat it so i feel like that was a new thing that was the thing where we wanted to dial up the 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 terror and also make the player feel like yes yes you i can progress so the boss fights have multiple phases in the music in the spider fight you have the intro where the spider appears and it's like a mini cutscene that transitions seamlessly uh into the first phase of combat which is just like you and the spider and the spider has various attacks which you have to learn and the music for the first phase of combat is more as melody but it's played in it's it's kind of like the horror version of um of her her melody it's quite aggressive and it's quite dark at the point you get to taking Mora's HP down to about 50%, uh, the music transitions into a transitional cue, it's, uh, which is supposed to coincide with um, the spider following you up, uh, up a tree trunk to take you to the second arena in the boss fight. Uh, even if you fail the, um, even if you fail that little sequence where you're going up the, tr- the tree trunk, it'll still transition to the next piece of music, which is the phase two um, of combat, and that is a more optimistic piece of music. Well, it's it's a more optimistic section of the boss fight music um, that is designed to tell the player, like, like yes, you can do it. Um, you're winning the fight. Uh, now continue. Um, and I'm very glad that that came off, and because I've seen in YouTube comments it's like, oh man, I love the part where the music switched to the the optimistic part because it also flashed them back to the first game when they were doing the Ginzo Tree escape sequence because that's where it does kind of like tie into the chase sequences from the first game. Like it's the yes, you can do it music um, as opposed to the oh my god, run away music. Um, so it's kind of cool to see on YouTube comments picking up on that. Um, and yeah it allowed me to both present an antagonist theme and ori's theme within the same piece of music which was um something i probably doing the boss fights was one of the most enjoyable parts of this game because it was both a technical challenge to get that switch in um, because a lot of boss fights just kind of have the same music playing throughout and maybe they used layering to like let's add some percussion when things get more tense and i felt like that was a bit cheap um i wanted to like change the actual composition at certain points um, i think a game that does a good job of this is shadow of the colossus the further you progress in the boss fights the music the music actually develops rather than just adding a new layer or a new like instrument um, and that was kind of the approach i wanted to take with this i wanted the music to kind of evolve during the boss fights rather than just be the exact same loop the whole time that's obviously unavoidable if you're fighting the the same phase of combat for 20 minutes. Um, but if you progress through the, through the boss, you will feel a progression in the music. Um, and this is stuff that I couldn't really do in the first game. So going back to, all the way back to your original question, it was really just a case of taking what we had in the first game and finding every single way possible that we could to expand upon it, both on a compositional side, but also on a technical side. Because on the technical side of things, we didn't even ship the first game with Wise. We did, so we didn't have any middleware at all to do all of this cool stuff that I'm talking about. So it really just was very basic playback in the game. Uh, whereas this time we could do that, um, and I think we were able to, to pull it off. 
Very cool. Very cool. Um, I have, I have a, a fun question for you. Yes. Uh, being in this world of, of music and creating music, is there a recording that you have that is like bizarre? Like what's the most curious recording that you have, whether it be an MP3, an old record album or a CD? Wow. That, that is never a question that I've, I've come up. I've, I've had before. Um, are you talking about my own stuff or just like something that I own from, from anything else? Maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, I mean, I obviously I have, I have a litany of outtakes from all of the soloists I work with, like the amount of F-bombs that have been dropped after a bad take um, <laughs> uh, that I still have for posterity and bribery if I need it, um, I could, that I can use. Yeah, I have a little folder on my computer called Outtakes, which is, um, which is just various like clippings from, from sessions. Um, so from so is, it, is that like the blooper reel in a, like a movie where yeah, like they're playing exactly something? like the blooper reel. It is an audio version of the blooper reel because most musicians especially like you don't really get it in an orchestral setting because orchestral musicians are very well behaved and they're on the clock and they know how expensive it is so they they usually don't mess around um but soloists like you know if if first of all like all eyes are on them so it it, it is a little bit of pressure but yeah there's a violinist i work with i'll, I'll spare her the, the the naming her um but yeah if she does a bad take it is it is like a tirade after every <laughs> single bad take like it's not just one it's like it's like five or six four-letter words and i'm just like oh okay um let's and the record the record button is never off like uh in in solo sessions because you just never know when you're going to capture like the moment so we just record everything um and uh, yeah so i've uh, a nice folder of those with various musicians who I've worked with over the years. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I, 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 I don't think I own anything that bizarre. If, if, the thing is, I don't think about these things until I actually have them to hand. Um, but I'll just, um, I'll highlight um, probably just my favorite recording moment um, ever. Um, it was actually on Ark Survival Evolved. And um, I went out, to speak to the orchestra and I was like, all right, guys, this is going to be like, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that this is going to be the hardest piece of music like that we play in these four days of recording. Um, it's, it's the track called the overseer, um, which is the final boss of arc, um, which like only like 0.1% of the player population has reached because it's insanely hard to get to the, <laughs> get to the final boss of arc. Um, but I, I went out to musicians and I was like, yeah, this is going to be really hard. I was expecting it to be really difficult. The reason for it is track is at 200 beats per minute. Um, and it's in 5-4 for most of it, which is not a comfortable time signature to play in. And the version that's on the soundtrack is take two. And I was just like, how? Like, And they've never seen the music before. Um, that is the one thing that like blows my mind. Like Pretty much all of the soundtracks you've ever heard are minimally rehearsed like you you're you like unless unless your name is john williams and you get unlimited rehearsal time usually you're on the clock and you're on a very limited budget when you're recording soundtracks i don't think many people like actually know this or at least they they forget it when they're listening to, to soundtracks like if you don't work in the industry there's no reason for you to know this but most of your game soundtracks and film soundtracks that you're listening to most of the orchestral side has been recorded in three to four days if you're lucky six to seven um and the musicians have never heard it before and i went out and there's this like this piece of music that is really loud it's really fast it's pretty obnoxious um it's typical boss fight music and it's balls to the wall for four and a half minutes and the second take they played the whole piece in one take uh from start to finish no breaks and i'm just like okay i guess we're done uh let's move on and i looked out at the musicians and they i and i was recording in britain and british people are pretty good at hiding their emotions but what we are not good at is hiding smugness and the look of smug satisfaction uh in the orchestra's face i would kind of made me happy because i'm british too i was like oh yeah i know what that feels like and you guys nailed it so that was cool um, and just for reference this is an orchestra of 93 players it's not like a small orchestra so 93 players came together they sight read a piece of music the first time even the first take was pretty good but then the second time they nailed it and i was like great 
it's not really a bizarre story, but it's kind of just a cool story to tell, and I don't get to tell it that often. I never thought I wanted to hear uh, a soloist or an orchestra um, outtake of people uh, <laughs> screwing up and having like a happy Gilmore moment where he misses yep. the putt and just like, fuck! <laughs> just yep, having exactly. That. <laughs> That's great. So, so Gareth, your avatar is you blowing bubbles on, on Skype. Do you consider yourself a playful person? What do you like to do to unwind? And do you ever dive into your own music and pick it apart? No, I never dive into my own music. Once it's been, once it's done, uh, I pretty much don't like listening to it. Um, I'm, I'm good at letting the birds leave the nest. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, I, I do, there are a few tracks that if I go back and listen to, I'm like, oh, okay, that I, I did a pretty good job there. But I think because I feel like I'm always trying to move forward, I, I don't, I don't look into the past that much. They, they're kind of like, every soundtrack is uh, to me like a, a time capsule. Um, it's like a, it's a, it's a moment in time that I can look back on fondly, but I never, I never revisit. Um, in terms of what I do in my spare time, I'm, I'm, as you've kind of probably gathered, I am a big gamer, but games are so big nowadays, I like have to be very careful with like what I choose, especially when I siphon off two months to play like the next 300-hour Assassin's Creed game. Uh, so <laughs> um, I'm generally looking, and, and what is very helpful is I, I look at, the award season is very helpful because it helps me decide what games I'm going to play for like literally the next year. Um and I look at audio awards because that I feel like is is a good place to start. Uh, and to narrow that down even further, I'm looking for single player narrative games because those aren't time sinks generally, unless it's like an open world collectathon. But I think that kind of age is coming to an end. Um, my favorite game of like the last ten years, probably just for the amount of impact it had on me personally, uh, is Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, um, partially because the audio in that game is world-class, and I still can't believe it was basically done by a tiny handful of people. Um, uh, in terms... Well, I can't do much for enjoyment at the moment because we're all stuck inside, um, but uh, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty active in terms of like sports and staying fit and stuff. Uh, that's obviously a little bit harder these days. Um, and one of the greatest things about my job is getting to travel, um, not just for work, but also to do all of the conventions and things I get invited to. Uh, it's what, it was one of the things I was not expecting because uh, I just wasn't prepared for it. But like, uh, my publicist is like, yeah, do you want to go to this country or that city and do a talk on blah, blah, blah? And uh, I'll be like, yeah, great. Uh, cool. Let's go. Um, and I'll usually extend my trip. Um, one, one uh, actually, one of my favorite examples. Uh, last year, I did the soundtrack to Darksiders Genesis, and I recorded a Bulgarian choir for that game. And I was like, "Hell yeah, I'm going to Bulgaria." Uh, I have no idea what to expect, but I'll be, um, uh, I'll be, you know, I'll be looked after. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that was that was like cool. And I'm just able to extend my trip by going to other Eastern European countries. And I think. One thing that I feel like is super important as a composer is to get as much real life experience as possible. If you're like indoors the whole time, you're not developing your taste um, and developing your taste is like super important to expanding your horizons as a composer. And development of taste just means like listening to music that you're unfamiliar with, um, traveling to places that make you, you know, make you question things um, and just generally doing things that you wouldn't normally do and getting outside your comfort zone. Um, it's something that I feel, and uh, please don't take this as criticism, um, I feel like most Americans don't travel enough outside the country. It's partially because America's so big. I'm lucky. I lived in Europe, and like there's like 50 countries on my doorstep, like an hour's flight away. It's harder for Americans to see the rest of the world. Um, but it's something that like, I'd encourage like anyone to do as soon as like i don't feel it'll be an issue because i feel like everyone's going to want to travel as much as possible like after this virus stuff is over um but it's something that can really really help anyone working in a creative field um so yeah basically i get my enjoyment from doing things that make me uncomfortable and you can interpret that however you want I, that's great <laughs> i like it <laughs> So I think it's safe to say that we're all huge soundtrack junkies here. Yes. So imagine you have to throw together a playlist of soundtracks right now. What's your top five soundtrack list or or songs, specific songs from those soundtracks? 
gonna do I'm gonna do the albums because it'll be even it'll I'll be here forever if I'm choosing um, if I'm choosing the um, individual tracks. Um, so uh, well, let's start with The Shining. Um, that's first of all, it's my favorite film of all time. But I also feel like the way music serves that film is unbelievable. Uh, second, I'm gonna go with Life of Pi. Um, because for me, that's like that's actually a very influential soundtrack for me. I love the way it combines uh, the world music and the Indian music elements with orchestra. I love Michael Danner's work, period, and I feel like he's a very underrated composer currently. Uh, third one, uh, let's go Bioshock, Gary Scheiman. Uh, I feel like the Bioshock scores are still probably some of the most unique sounding soundtracks in game music history. That's on there my ha- list too. <laughs> there has been nothing like the Bioshock trilogy and there is there will be nothing like the Bioshock trilogy um, until Bioshock 4, which I've heard is in development. And if, oh, they don't bring, if they don't bring Gary back, well, then they're very, very, very foolish. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's one of those pairings like gary and bioshock is is it's like kind of like hans zimmer and christopher nolan or john williams and steven spielberg it's just kind of like it's it's like one of those pairings that just has to exist um where are we we're at three um let me i'm gonna want to think of something a little bit different um oh right actually this is a more recent one um uh mad max fury road Um, everyone it drives me nuts when everyone says this is like oh it's just a typical action score it is so not a typical action score if you can find me drums that sound anything like what is achieved by junkie xl in mad max fury road i want to hear them i've never heard a score sound as aggressive and nasty and punk rock even in a cinematic setting as as that um, it's it's one of my favorite action scores of the last few years. Yes, it is noisy, but it's like I feel like everyone had a damn good time making that soundtrack. Um, and then the last one, I guess it's kind of in a similar vein, um, but it's 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 uh, it's a little bit more it's a little bit more classical. Um, and it's because this is attached to a film that was trashed. Um, is Daniel Pemberton's King, score for King Arthur. I feel like Daniel Pemberton is probably the most original voice working in film right now. Um, and if you haven't listened to any of his soundtracks, then start with the King Arthur soundtrack. You might be like, why would I listen to King Arthur? And I'm just like, just trust me on this. If you haven't listened to it, I can pretty much guarantee that you've never heard anything like it. And it's just an absolutely wild ride from start to finish. Um, it's It's... He got a he got an orchestra of like ancient instruments together and kind of just formed a band. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just an unbelievable sounding soundtrack. I'm going to give one bonus one because I think it's the most influential soundtrack of the 2000 of, of the 21st century, uh, and I love listening to it. Um, it's an obvious choice, but Inception. Uh, every time I fire up Mombasa or Dream is Dream is collapsing. Um, it, they, those tracks never get old for me. Um, I think that is a soundtrack that has been much copied, much imitated, um, but never actually equaled. And I don't think it ever will be. Um, he was in Hans was in a clearly in a special place when that soundtrack was was made, um, and it'll be a soundtrack that stands the. Te- it'll, it's a soundtrack that will stand the test of time, even though it doesn't have any truly what we would define as melodic content it has a sound and a feel and a vibe that has that um is so perfectly connected with the film that it worked that it was that it was tied to um and uh i feel like you can hear three seconds of inception and know it's the inception soundtrack and to do that without like a typical melody or motif is is really really cool awesome right on right yeah. on that's kind of got you an eclectic range there. I was, uh, yeah, um, I could go on forever, but uh, yeah, those those, <laughs> those those were the ones that jumped out. So if they came, if they first came to mind, then uh, yeah, those were the ones that uh, obviously I'm thinking of right now. If you ask me tomorrow, my answer might be completely different, but that's what came to mind right now. Well, <laughs> well when you when you come back on the show uh, later on, it'll uh, be a we'll, totally different. Yeah, the only totally... one that will probably be common will be Inception and maybe Bioshock. <laughs> all right. All right. Sweet. Um, thank you so much, Gareth, for being on our show. We loved it. Uh, is there any uh, place that you want our listeners to find you online? 
Uh, Twitter is the best place to to interact with me if for some reason you'd want to interact with me. Um, I'm very easy to find on Twitter. It's literally just my first and last name. Um, and probably the, the best place to access my music is either on Bandcamp uh, or if you're doing a streaming service, Spotify. As Spotify is generally the most complete uh, part of my discography. Excellent, excellent. Yes, yeah, send Gareth all of your bassoon auditions on Twitter. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. That is our show. We will be back next week. Uh, we had a great show on the Unbalanced Note podcast, part of the Multimedia Men Network. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio. I'm Brian Kluger. You can find me at Boomstick Comics, High Def Digest, Screen Rant, YouTube. Just type in my name. You'll find all of that fun stuff. Mock Chavadini. Where can they find you, good sir? You can find us at Go See Talk pretty much anywhere. And um, if you don't, you're not typing it in right. We're on Twitter, <laughs> YouTube, website. And uh, my mom prints out pages from the site and puts it on her fridge. So we're there too. Perfect. <laughs> uh, and Josie, where can all the people, all our listeners, find you online? Well, I'm not spread across social media like you guys are, but I do have an Instagram page called My Favorite Things underscore blog. And you can find a link to my website in my bio there. Perfect, perfect. We'll be back next week with some more musical goodness. Uh, Y'all have a good and safe week.